And welcome back to Learning to Sit Still podcast. I want to thank you for listening. And if this is your first time joining me, welcome. I am so glad you could be here today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you have an extra moment, would you consider leaving a review? It only takes a few moments, or you can share this episode on social media. Both help others find this podcast. Today, we have a special guest that I am excited to introduce you to. But first, let's find out the answer to the last week's Bible trivia question, which was, Sariah was commanded to read a book and cast it into which river? Jordan, Euphrates, or Tiberias? The answer is the Euphrates, found in Jeremiah 51, verses 60 to 63. Our question for next week is, who prayed with John that the Samaritans would receive the Holy Spirit? I'll read it one more time. Who prayed with John that the Samaritans would receive the Holy Spirit? And remember, I will have the answer for you on the next episode. For today, our guest is Brittany Torres, and I had the privilege of hearing her share her testimony in my Sunday school class several weeks ago and was so blessed by it that I asked her to share it here on the podcast. She graciously agreed, and I know that it will be an encouragement to your heart. I do want to mention that she does have six children, so please be patient. If there is a little background noise, plus I have a cat who decided this interview would be a good time to run around the house, so there may be a few extra background noises. But no matter what, I believe you will be blessed. So without further delay, here is our conversation. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So for those that are listening, um, I met Brittany in my Sunday school or growth group is what we call them. And um, I just, I remember coming to my Sunday school and we were, I think it was my first time there. And my teacher um, mentioned Brittany, she had been praying for her. So I, I kind of came in on the tail end. I wasn't really sure um, about that. So I was like, I don't really know much about her, but it, you know, we obviously started to pray for her and um then as we progressed, you know, several months, we got good news. Um, Melinda would always keep us up to date and we would always hear the, the progress reports and we were just rejoicing when the, the, the good news came. And then um, a few weeks ago, Melinda texted and said, hey, so um, Brittany's going to be in town. And I asked her, surprise, to come to <laughs> your testimony. And I was like, well, this is great because I've been hearing about Brittany and I wanted to actually meet her in person. So I was excited about that um, opportunity to hear her. And then we had this just wonderful conversation. I mean, I just, I just soaked in every word of her testimony and, and as a podcaster and blogger and writer, my wheels were turning. I was paying attention for the most part, but <laughs> I was just processing this is so rich. I could, I mean, if it, I'm thankful we don't have bubbles because like the bubble above my head would have been typing out the, the questions. It would have been, uh, the title was already there for her podcast. I was like, this is so rich. So Brittany agreed to um, come on and just really share her story. And I'm really excited. I think you will be blessed. There are so many um, things that she's going to touch on that are relevant today. And it doesn't just apply to her situation. It will be a broad range of topics and things and situations in life, because we do know that life isn't perfect. It's going to have its valleys and it's going to have its hills. 
And uh, most of those come unexpectedly. We're never really prepared for them. And I think that is the power of our testimony, that when we can come in and extend our hand and say, I've been there, walk with me and I'll, I'll, I'll come with you. And I think that was, that's really the purpose of just having that courage to share our testimony. And I love that about Brittany, that she was courageous enough to be willing to share. It's not easy, you know, cause we have to remember that we're, we're reliving some things that were hard. And I really, really am grateful for Brittany's willingness to come in and share. And I know that you will be blessed. So don't fast forward, don't skip anything because you do not want to miss anything. So um, we'll begin with um, just telling us a little bit about yourself, Brittany, and just sharing uh, where you are. Again, thank you, Sarah. Um, like she said, my name is Brittany Torres. Uh, my husband and I uh, live in, with our family, we live in Paris, California, which is about uh, two hours-ish from San Diego. We're about north of, uh, north of San Diego. And uh, we have six children um, ranging in age from 15 years old to one year old. And we have, um, of those Six children, we have um, one boy and the rest are girls. Yes, we have a lot of drama in our house. Um, most of the time it's okay drama, but the majority of the time it's a little crazy, but that's okay. That's uh, God giving me some sanity, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, my husband serves in Riverside, California. He's a full-time um, senior pastor in Riverside at Riverside Baptist Church. And then he's also a uh, reserve chaplain for the United States Army Reserve. And um, he does that once a month, um, drills in Oceanside. And then he goes uh, two weeks out of the summer, most of the time to wherever they are drilling at that particular, um, for that particular battle assembly. And so, um, yeah, so that's what he does. And I'm a stay-at-home wife and mom to my six children and we homeschool. And um, I just pretty much just minister to my family and then those at church. And that's um, where we're at right now. Well, of course, when you said Paris, I'm like, oh, wow, that's right. She, she does. She doesn't live in Paris, Paris. It's just you know. <laughs> a lot of people confuse Paris, California. When we just say Paris, a lot of people are like, oh, you're a long way from home. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, it's not Paris, France. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's just Paris, California. <laughs> it's still pretty. I know California is a beautiful state. Yes, sure. it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, you know, I just kind of want to gently kind of weave our way in. I know that there were, um, there was a specific verse that was meaningful to you. And I think from uh, your testimony in class that you have read the verse first, and then it would end up becoming part of your journey. Right. So um, perhaps you want to begin with that verse. And then from there, just kind of tell us the, the, as I know, it began kind of with your pregnancy was how you be, you, became informed of, of your condition. Right. Yes. I believe you are referring to John chapter two, um, in Jesus, um, turning water into wine. Um, I was reading that passage. I have read that passage and gone over that passage, heard sermons about that passage. Um, I grew up in church, so that is a very familiar, um, 
passage to, to me and to a lot of people who have um, grown up in church or even, you know, you know, at the very beginning of their Christian walk with Christ, um, that is just something that you always hear of. Um, but this particular time I was reading and writing out the scripture, which I normally do on um, a regular basis to study the scripture and um, just get, you know, working on my, on my walk with Christ. Um, but it's uh, where, again, where Jesus turns water into wine and you hear about him performing that miracle, but yet you don't really understand or like it doesn't dawn on you or it at least it didn't to me at first um that he just used regular ordinary water to perform such an extraordinary miracle and yes that was his first miracle um the disciples were even shocked at what he had done and that caused them to believe in christ and so the lord just um you know after um, I got home from the hospital and everything, which we will cover. Um, the Lord just used that in my life and just reminded me that I am just like that ordinary water. And yeah, it's, I mean, something that we take for granted I mean, we drink water every day. You need water to survive yet. God used it in such a miraculous way. And I really believe that you know, God is just using me to perform the extraordinary because he wants to get his message out through me. And that is the only reason that I went through what I went through. And it's basically just to um, shine the light of Christ and to allow him to help others believe, um, to allow him to use me to help others believe in him and see the miracle that Christ did in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was, um, about mm, nine months pregnant with our sixth child, Carrie, and, um, I call her our, our miracle baby. And, um, there's a reason for that because she saved my life. Um, she was born in January of 2022, but shortly after we were given some news that no couple or young family wants to hear. My husband and I have been married for almost 16 years. And um, that is not, you know, this type of news is not something that you expect to hear at all, let alone in your late 30s and early 40s. Um, she was born, um, Carrie was born via C-section because I was having a lot of trouble breathing and um, she was in distress after a practical NST that they had done on her, which is a non-stress test for babies. And um, so I had had problems breathing throughout my entire pregnancy with her, but um, <clears throat> she was breech and she was sitting high. So we just thought that that was due to pregnancy. So the you know, we were thinking that the problem that I was having with the breathing would dissipate once she was born, but it only got worse. Um, I ended up back in the hospital via ambulance with the sirens whistling and lights flashing. You never expect to be in that kind of a position. And the paramedics were talking above my head, um, saying things like, she's not going to make it. Um, hey, do you think she's going to make it? Hey, what's going on? Um, and so, you know, that's the whole time they're talking about that and saying those things. I'm thinking about my husband and my children and the fact that I would never, ever see them again. I thought I was, I thought I was done. 
After a series of tests, they ruled out COVID, which was the original assumption, and came to the conclusion that my heart was the culprit and that I needed some serious care. Once I was stabilized, they moved me to the ICU and they began treating me for peripartum cardiomyopathy. Basically, my heart was too big and filling with fluid because it could not pump out the blood to the rest of the body. And so as it pumped, it continued to get bigger and bigger, um, almost like a balloon where you blow into the balloon. And eventually, if you blow in too much air, the balloon pops. Um, and so that was where my heart was at that point in time. And not only did I have the cardiomyopathy with my heart swelling, um, I had a mitral valve leak, which was caused by the cardiomyopathy. And I had a left bundle branch block, which was causing my heart to pump out of sync from the right side to the left side. Um, and so um, my lungs were filling up with fluid and I, I just, I could not breathe due to the fact that I had so much fluid in my lungs and I was um, really just on my last leg, so to speak, I guess. Um, so, and just a side note, a normal heart function or what they call an ejection fraction for a normal person is 65 to 70%. When I ended up back in the hospital, they told me my heart was 25 to 30%, which is not good. And it was actually continuing to go lower as I was in the hospital and throughout the rest of the time that I was, um, that they let me go home. And then when I ended up back in the hospital, so they kept me there in that hospital for a week. Um, and then they were trying to, you know, cause they were trying to figure out, you know, which tests to run and what medication would be good for me. Um, so they would finally let me go home at the end of that week, which was, I believe, January 15th of 2022. And um, my, after that, I found a primary care physician who referred me to a cardiologist, and then they started referring me over to the specialists at Loma Linda University Hospital. Um, and there I did a, an echocardiogram. Um, and so they took about 75 to 150 pictures and sound bits of my heart at Loma Linda. And the leading cardiologist, who is actually world-renowned, um, world he took even more videos and photos. So I was like probably 250 to 300 photos that they, that they had finally taken. So after waiting what felt like hours for him to give us the diagnosis, he uttered the words, I am sorry, but you need a heart transplant. My husband and I looked at each other in utter shock. We just, honestly, we did not know what to think. We didn't know what to do. We grabbed each other's hands and just kind of stared at the doctor. And he says, I, I really, I'm so sorry. I really did not want to have to tell you that, but those are what the pictures and sound bits are telling us. So he explained a few more things and um, gave us a few minutes to process everything, asked us if we had any more questions and then said we were good to go home. So if any of you have ever been to Loma Linda, um, it is a huge hospital. So walking from the echocardiogram um, room that we were in all the way to the parking garage, um, just honestly, it we couldn't even process still. We were just like 
we honestly, I have no idea how we made it to the parking garage into our car. Um, we were just in still in utter shock. Um, we got in the car and we sat and just kind of stared out the windshield. And then we looked at each other and both of us just started crying. And um, we kind of calmed down a little bit. And then my husband started praying. And then we cried some more. And then we prayed some more. And then the biggest thing was, I think, the fact that we were going to have to go home and tell our kids what was actually going on with mommy. So we got home um, about an hour later. So we live about 30 minutes, but in California, 30 minutes is an hour because <laughs> of traffic. Um, so after telling our children, our oldest, um, who at the time was... Um, almost 14, she burst out with the question we all longed to ask, but we were afraid to ask, was why, why is this happening? And my husband just looked at her in all seriousness. And in John, um, opened his Bible and said in John chapter nine, we hear about this story. And he went into the, the, John chapter nine and talked about the lame man and how Jesus and his disciples passed the lame man. And the disciples were asking the question, why is this man lame? Um, did he sin? Did, did his parents sin? And Jesus says, this man is lame, not because anybody sinned, but for the glory of God. And so we saw that throughout the whole journey that we have gone through. And so that's exactly what my husband told my, our oldest daughter was mommy is going through this. God chose mommy to go through this for God's glory. We don't know why, but we have to accept it. For the next few months, we had family staying with us because I just could not function at a normal level anymore. I had to have help taking care of my baby at night because I could not easily get up out of bed um, and pick her up to care for her because leaning her against my chest just hurt to the point where, um, not, not necessarily just hurting, but it was pushing, putting pressure on what little room <laughs> that I had in my chest to be able to breathe. And so that was a big thing. That was a big thing for me, knowing that I couldn't cuddle my baby because it just, it hurt. I couldn't clean. I couldn't do dishes. I couldn't cook. I went through periods of time where I couldn't even look at my little baby, let alone hold her because my thoughts went from one end of the spectrum to the other with this is her fault that this is happening. I knew deep down that it was not my baby's fault that I was having these issues, but it's still that flesh wants to get in there and blame something else. And that was a big battle to overcome. Um, like I said, I know that wasn't the case, but in the postpartum grief, and thoughts, it was very, very real to me. And God just continued to show me scripture after scripture that this was all done 
for his glory. God chose me to bear this, this burden. Having family come in and help was difficult because I am a very independent person. Um, I felt like I was useless to my family. I was no longer needed. Um, I felt like I became a burden to those taking care of me. Um, and so it took a while, but I eventually got over that and things are much better now. Um, but it wasn't until I had to be reminded time and time and time again that I, this was all for God's glory. I was home until May 29th, which is just a little over at this point in time, um, just less than a week ago, a, a year ago in 2022, when my overall health began to take a downhill turn, my husband took me to the ER at Loma Linda and they admitted me and I was there for a total of two months, which was a very, very long time to be away from my family um, and from church and from everything normal that we had known, the routines of daily life, I was no longer able to do. Um, God really began showing me how this was all going to be used for his glory. I knew that it was eventually, but God eventually started showing me how and why. And that was an amazing feeling to see God working in the lives of people around me. Yes, I fought him tooth and nail. I did not want to be where I was. I mean, who wants to be in a hospital bed really for two months uh, fighting for your life? I prayed for a miracle. I prayed several times for that miracle. Surely, God, you really aren't going to make me go through all of these tests and procedures and eventually put me through a heart transplant. I'm a young mom and I'm a young wife, God, you can reach down and you can just touch my heart and make it completely whole again. I've seen you, or I've, I've read about it in scriptures. I've, you know, um, I've seen movies, you know, of course, where they depicted that. Um, but that was not what God wanted to do in my life. And I had to come to accept that. You know, after I fully understood that and embraced the journey we were on, that is when God began to show me the things in my life I never thought possible. He began to bring me people to minister to from my hospital bed through prayer and counseling. He began to show me doctors and nurses and people that I hadn't talked to in years contacted me and were like, how are you, you know, how are you doing with all this? And just through my joyfulness and the fact that I was totally surrendered to the Lord, they saw a change in me. They saw a difference in me. Um, most of all, my aunt, who we have been praying for for as long as I can remember, um, she, she got saved because of my testimony and the fact that she really did not understand how God would allow something like this to happen in my life. And my words to her were, I deserve far worse than what I'm suffering with now. 
And that shocked her. She says, no, you're a good person. And I said, no, I'm not a good person. Only by God's grace. Does that make me good? And in December of last year, she finally surrendered and let go of everything and became a Christian. She accepted and received God's gift of salvation. So all of that um, to say that God used ordinary me, just like he used water, ordinary water, to show many people his glory. A few lessons I learned, and I am still learning, is that God's timing is always best. Because it is all for his glory. Several times I wanted to throw in the towel and... I begged, literally begged my husband over the phone when he would come to visit me. I said, please take me home. I don't want to be here anymore. I was done. I just, I just wanted to go home and die in peace. Uh, my husband was not in favor of that, <laughs> as you probably can figure out why. Um, but deep down, I'm, and I'm, I'm so glad that he made me stay in the hospital with everything, all the procedures that they were doing on me, I was miserable. I didn't, I, again, I, I did not want to be there. Um, I had a, at one point I had probably, um, I think in one day they poked me probably six or seven times to draw blood. I had a pick line. I had a catheter coming out of my, the main um, artery in my neck and on the other side, I had a Foley catheter and I had a boot on my leg so that the balloon pump that they had put in femorally would go up that to go up to my heart. Um, I couldn't move my legs. So I was bed, on bed rest for a week and just throughout this series of, 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 of tests and procedures. Um, you know, I, every single time I knew God gave me strength to get me through. And it was just, you know, one thing after another, they were throwing at me the, um, the biggest thing I think, um, was the, the, the sessions what they of what they call plasma phoresis. Um, when they did all the blood work on me to find out if I was um, okay to do the transplant, um, they had to check my HLAs or antibodies. And they realized that my antibodies are too high. Now, let me backtrack a little bit and say that in order to have any kind of transplant, you have to be really, really sick. Um, and you know, most people know that, but you also have to be healthy in every other area in your body. So all your organs have to be healthy. Everything has to be healthy. Now I was overly healthy in all of my other organs and in my antibodies. Um, what antibodies will do is if they're too high and they put in a new organ or anything goes into your body, such as a virus or, a, you know, any type of sickness, those antibodies fight it off. So their job was to bring down those antibodies and basically clean out the, my immune system so that I would not go into rejection after transplant. So what they call, they did what they call a plasma phoresis, which they hook me up to a machine similar to dialysis for kidney, kidney failure patients. And they clean out the antibodies in my plasma. So they did five sessions of that. And um, 
they waited a couple weeks and because they had to test the HLAs again, which again, that's the antibody level. And um, they found that they were still too high. So they were like, okay, what are we going to do now? At this point, I was, I believe I was on bed rest and um, because of the balloon pump that they had in my heart. And again, the more time you spend in the hospital, the longer you stay in the hospital um, and the more machines, I guess they put you on, um, it means that you're more sick. Um, and so that continues to move your, your name farther up the transplant list. Mm -hmm. So they put this balloon pump in my heart basically to keep my heart pumping because my heart was not responding to the medications that they were giving me and I needed more help. Um, I was pretty much on life support for about a month because I had the balloon pump in for two weeks. Now, let me take that back. It was about three weeks. I had the balloon pump in for, for a total of three and a half weeks. And, um, at one point um, in time, it actually popped inside my heart and they had to put another one in, which was scary, but um, I'm still here. And the nurses and doctors couldn't believe that I survived that, but everything was all in God's hands. So um, after the, the second um, to last dose of the plasma phoresis, they came in and said, your antibodies, I'm sorry, are still too high. We've got to get them down. So one of the cardiologists came in and told me that they were going to give me a medicine similar to chemo, and that was called Velcade. And I, they were going to give me four doses of this uh, um, Velcade medication during the time that they were going to be doing the plasma phoresis as well. So kind of in tandem, they were doing all this together to continue to lower my antibodies. And they only had to give me two doses of this medicine um, because they found a match, a perfect match, even without doing all four doses of the Velcade. I totally consider that God's working hand because I did not want to do the Velcade. If you know me and the past, I you know grew up um, not taking any medication at all. The strongest thing I would ever take was Motrin for a headache. And even then I would try to tough it out without taking anything. Um, and so coming into all of this and having all these medications thrown at me, I was not a very ha happy camper, but I realized that it was something that God was using in my life to, again, help me de be dependent on him even more than on um, my own independent pride. Um, and so after the second dose of Velcade, um, I was not necessarily feeling the greatest. It wasn't like it was a huge change in, you know, how my body was responding to the medication. Um, but it was just something that I needed to deal with, with the Lord. Um, and so I just took it all to the Lord again that night. And I said, Lord, I cannot fight you anymore on this. I, I realize that these medications are something that you have um, 
given us to be able to help my body fight through this. I just, I had to give it all to the Lord. And the biggest thing that I dealt with, um, even throughout the entire time of being in the hospital and even prior to being in the hospital was wondering what would happen with my children and my husband if I did not make it out of the hospital. And that was scary for me. Um, I know this is kind of funny, but um, one of the thoughts that I had, because my husband and I have talked about, you know, if something happens to either one of us, um, you know, we want the other person to remarry, to be able to help in the ministry and, you know, help with the children and, and stuff like that. And so the only thing that I could think of was my husband remarrying and another lady coming in and taking care of my children. And honestly, the one thought that I, and the one prayer I prayed was, Lord, please help him not to find a woman that's like the wicked stepmother in Cinderella. <laughs> I know that's really selfish, but I was like, I could just like see my children responding to somebody like that. And, you know, I just did not want that for my, for my children. And of course I did not want that for my husband either. So I was like, Lord, please help her to be somebody godly. If this is your will to take me home to heaven and I will not get to see my kids grow up, please help whoever takes my place or, you know, not necessarily takes my place, but, um, takes over that role. Um, please help her to be godly, somebody who will encourage my children in the Lord and help my husband in the ministry. And so once I finally came to the conclusion too, that God can take care of my family way better than what I ever dreamed I can, um, it was like a light switch in my mind and in my heart. And the peace that came over me was overwhelming. Um, and God brought to mind Isaiah 26, three, that will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in me. And that's what I had to do. I had to trust in the Lord and allow him to continue to work in this situation. And there was nothing I could do. And so that night, um, was, it was Tuesday night, July 13th, I believe. Yes. Tuesday night, July 13th. I honestly slept so good because I had fully surrendered everything over to the Lord. In fact, the nurses came in to check on me several times because I wasn't calling them to get up to use the restroom. If any of you have ever been on a diuretic, you know that um, it's miserable. And I was getting, they had me on two to three different diuretics while I was there in the hospital. And so I was constantly um, using the restroom, getting up and just going, not actually just, you know, just going because it was like everything was just being drained out of my system and so that night though I did not get up the Lord allowed me to sleep so peacefully and only God can do that God can take those trials and that those moments where you don't know where to turn and turn it around and give you the peace that you so long and crave for and that next morning I woke up and they came in at about, I think like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And they told me that they had found a match for me 
even without having to do the last two doses of Velcade and the last two or three sessions of the plasmapheresis, but they found the exact match numbers, blood, um, blood type, um, the size that they needed. I mean, it was just amazing that they had found the exact match for me. And they're like, we've never seen this happen. And I was like, well, I can tell you how it happened. And I was like, it was all God, you know that, right? <laughs> and they just looked at me and they just kind of smiled and nodded. And, um, and so I was just jumping with joy, literally. I mean, I couldn't actually get up out of my bed and jump for joy, <laughs> but inside I was like, I wished I could just get up and do a jig because I was like, Lord, only you can do that. Only you can provide the exact match. And it was just such an amazing feeling. I called my husband right away. I called my parents. I called everybody who would want to listen. The fact that I was going to have surgery that night. And it was such an amazing yet scary feeling knowing that everything was coming to to a head and everything that I had that the Lord had been preparing me for this was the defining moment and as my husband prayed for me in the bed as they wheeled me away I turned my head as far as I could I looked back at him and I saw a little bit of fear in his eyes but over that fear, there was such a tremendous peace and trust in the Lord that he knew everything would be okay. And the last thing I remember hearing was my husband quoting Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of my heart. The surgery was supposed to take six hours, but it only took three and a half. And um, as I was in recovery, I had a mild stroke on the recovery bed and they had to code me twice because I went into VTech. And um, I, I honestly, I don't remember any of that. Um, I was still under anesthetic um, and they got me back. Everything was fine. They put an EEG on me to make sure that there was nothing else that would go wrong. Um, I, and I remember waking up saying a few things kind of randomly. Um, but when, and then I would go back to sleep, but when I woke up, um, about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 hours after, like I was actually awake at this point in time, I do remember they were like, okay, you need to get up. You need to get out of that bed. And I was like, I just had major surgery. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they were pushing me to get up and get out of that bed. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, I had to learn literally how to walk um, without um, using my arms to pull myself, um, do things, go up and down the steps without um, using my arms to push me up the banister. I had to learn how to rock back and forth um, to stand up from a chair. I had to have help. Um, getting in and out of bed. I had to have help rolling over in bed. Um, I mean, it's just the little things that you take for granted that you don't even think about until after you've gone through something like this, um, that you 
come to appreciate <laughs> being able to walk across the street without having a walker. Um, so it's just those, you know, those little things. Um, and so after um, a few days, um, I was walking around and I was able to get up and um, I did have the walker and I did have a few machines hooked up to me because I had the chest tubes and everything, but it was, um, and I had my friend Larry, my IV pole. Yes, I named all of my apparatus um, devices in the hospital. It made me made me happy to have names for my companions. Um, so I had Larry, my IV pole, and I was pushing Larry and um, just walking down the hallway and everything. And this one particular morning, it was Monday morning after the surgery, I was in the restroom um, brushing my teeth, putting my contacts in, and I had a seizure. Um, I don't remember much other than saying, I'm, a, I'm scared, I'm so scared. And then I woke up in um, my in my hospital bed uh, that night, I think it wasn't I would I don't think I was out very long, but um, my husband was there with me. And so um, but everything's good. I don't have any other issues with seizures. Um, and it's been almost a year since I have had the transplant. I was able to go home from the hospital 10 days after the surgery and just in time for my husband and I to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. Um, our anniversary is at July 28th and I got to go home July 24th. So that was a huge, um, milestone for us, our 15th anniversary. Yes. He took the kids to the lake while I stayed home and slept, um, but I was still home and we had a special dinner. So that does make up for, you know, all the times that I was, all the nights I was in the hospital where we really couldn't have that. So, um, but through it all, um, God always showed the fact that this was for his glory and he just tremendously worked in my life and in the lives of my children, my husband, our church members, um, all the family and friends that prayed for us and donated to converting our bathroom downstairs to a shower um, shower room where I could didn't have to go upstairs. And you know, God just showed Himself faithful time and time again and gave us the strength to get through the hardest trial of our lives to date. And I, I love, you know, your story. I think there's just so much in there. I was busy writing notes. Um, you just kind of, I don't want to revisit a couple of things because sometimes we may, we may think them, but we don't address them. And I think that it would be uh, just gonna be good. And these are a couple of things, you know, asking why is okay. I think that's really a big one we get afraid to, um, to ask that question. Um, we're afraid to, to verbalize our why to God. And we think it's, it's not spiritual to ask God right. why, but, um, I had a, a science school teacher once say that. And, and he said, Jesus gave us the example. He says, you know, my God, my God, why? Has thou forsaken me? Absolutely. Uh, there, you, it's okay. And I know you're, you know, your children, sometimes kids are the ones that are brave and they're going to ask the questions that adults don't want to <laughs> yeah. And I know Elizabeth Elliot was very wise when she said, 
just because you don't say it doesn't mean God doesn't know it was there. She says, you do realize that the thought, he reads the thoughts. So I love how your daughter was like, why, you know, Mm -hmm. why? And I love that, that it's okay to ask why. And I think there's a freeing when you ask why. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think your husband had a great opportunity to talk to your children about this. Yeah. And one thing too, that we've um, really stressed with our children is that God wants to hear from you. Um, And so even if all you can say is why Lord, or help me Lord, or, um, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, um, God wants to hear from us. And that was his, you know, reason for creating Adam and Eve in the garden was fellowship. And that's what God wants from us is fellowship. And so if we're holding all of those thoughts in, yeah, he knows them, but he wants us to speak them to him. And then, you know, like you said, it is freeing to think those things and, and to not think to, to say them, because if you keep them inside, it just kind of bubbles out in sometimes anger and bitterness. And then you're like questioning God and, um, allowing that to hinder your relationship with God. And so it's okay to, again, to question why, um, and, and cause God wants, God wants it from us. And as long as we don't stay in that, um, I think that's the biggest thing that one of the biggest things I learned too was, yeah, I can question God. I can lament. I mean, David lamented all the time. You read it in the, the, the lamentations of Psalms and in the book of lamentations from Jeremiah. And yet they didn't stay there. They would, they would lament and then they would praise God. And so that's exactly what we did. We lamented the fact that, you know, mommy might die and we prayed hard that that wouldn't happen. But then we praised God that no matter the outcome, it was all for God's glory and whatever he deemed necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. That's why I wanted to revisit that because, you know, like we said, you expressing it is sometimes better than internalizing it. Because Absolutely. sometimes, you know, we, and even I, I think I, I always want to stress with people, it's a good thing to express this, not even just to yourself, but to others. You know, your daughter had the freedom to do that. And your husband then took that as a teaching moment and expounded and helped everyone really process that and and start them on that right path of thinking. And and you're so right, because I read through the Psalms last year and it's just, there are a ton of whys and questions and even, you know, why do the righteous or why, why do the, the wicked, how come they get to prosper and look at us? We're over here on poverty street and they're over there on, on Ritzy Avenue. But, you know, but again, he never stayed there. And I think that's just the critical moment is not staying there. We need to move past it, but God wants us to speak to him. Like you said, and as you talk to him, cause this is kind of what you see in the Psalms, why God, why God, but then there's that turn of, but I also remember and I know you and you're just and you're good. And, you know, and this is really, really helpful for us. So I, I really just want to emphasize that. But I do want to tell people, too, we need to be very careful. You know, <laughs> your husband did not take your daughter's question and say, how dare you? He right. welcomed that. If he would have done that, she would have shut down. Mm-hmm. And that question would never have been dealt with properly. And you never would have had that teaching moment. And I always want to stress to people when somebody comes in that vulnerable state to you, please 
be kind and remember that, you know, in a different situation, you might have asked the same question. Mm -hmm. And we must be, if we want to cultivate that communication, we need to um, treat it fragile. Yes. You know, treat it with care. Mm -hmm. And that we, because that way, if we don't, people are no longer going to be vulnerable. And we need that, those moments of vulnerability to have those, those moments of teaching. So I just kind of wanted to revisit that. Okay. You know, asking the why is okay as long as we don't stay there, which is, you know, definitely something that I, I, I liked about that too. But um, the other one's a little bit more practical, you know, <laughs> receiving help is okay. And I know that we struggle with that. So there's people like we, and especially I think in America more than anybody else, we're independent. You know, we have independence day for Pete's sake, you know, we have this great day and I don't need help. Or we believe that if we ask for help, we're weak. And were of no value. And I liked that you brought that out. Yes, that was definitely a hard lesson for me to learn. Um, I have always been that way. And even my parents would tell me, um, you know, just, just recently, even before we knew about my heart issue, they would tell me something's going to happen and you're going to need all that help. And I was like, I'm fine. You know, why are you, why, you know, why do you keep telling me that? And, you know, those words came true. I mean, I know that they weren't expecting it to happen the way they, you know, the way it did. Um, but it was just kind of, you know, looking back, I kind of, I kind of giggle. And the fact that, you know, my parents were wise, they totally were like, you should, you need to slow down. You need to, you need to take some breaks. You need to take some time for yourself and you need to ask for help. You know, if you can't do it all, it's okay. If it doesn't get done, it's okay. And that, again, that was one of the things that I really, really had to come to the conclusion that it was okay to ask for help. And it was like, God had to slap me alongside the head and say, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, even Christ asked for help, um, with his disciples. And so, um, you know, that is just one of the things that one of the lessons, many lessons <laughs> that I had to learn and I'm still, you know, still learning it. I mean, my husband's going to be gone next month and, I'm like, Hey mom, can you come stay with me? And normally I'd be like, yeah, mom, I'll be fine. I'm great. But now I'm like, okay, I need help. <laughs> and so I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying having that help because then it doesn't feel like it's all on me. And, and I guess that's how I felt before. And, um, yes, that was pride talking and God really had to humble me in that area. And so it's, it, it is, it's okay ask for help when you need it. Um, people are there to help you. Just let them help you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and God did not create us isolated, you know, even, even Adam, God looked at him and said, you know, he really needs some help. He was alone for multiple reasons, but I think you need some help. Let's, let's mm -hmm. make you a help meet. So we were often meant to work in pairs. Mm -hmm. You know, even the pilots, they're meant to be in twos. There's, there's two, there's, mm -hmm. there's a pilot, but there's a co-pilot just in case yes. anything happens. And there's that, I think even a subtle lesson in our humanity to realize that we need God because we can be very independent and think, well, I don't even need God's help. I, I've got this. And God just gently reminds us sometimes in the circumstances, no, you need me and you need others. I, I created them to be a help to you. Um, and I think that is something that even individually, we should have a mindset of helping others. 
um, that we should look for opportunities. You know, we see that in Proverbs 31, where she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She was proactive. She didn't always wait to be um, asked. She's like, may I help you? I see you need help. So I think that's just another good lesson is that we, it is okay to receive and to give help. I think both of those aspects are, are good and, and biblical. Um, I, I look and, at it as, as a blessing to be mm, able to help others. And I'm, if I, if I don't accept others help, then I'm robbing them of a blessing in, in, in the many ways that God can, can show them that too. That's true. It's true. Cause you read in, um, I think it's, it's Galatians where it says, you know, by love, serve one another, mm-hmm. even Paul said, you know, so we are to be fulfilling. That's not in some ways, how we fulfill the law of Christ is by loving others and loving is a form serving is a form of love. Um, for some people, it's their love language. Like my mother, my mother is acts of service. That is her love language. And so I have to, I'm not, I'm the gift giver. So I have to consciously try and do things that, you know, Hey, I did this for you today. Oh, thank you so much. And you can just tell it delights her. Uh, I think that's a part of the joy that we can, we can bestow upon others. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I liked the phrase you said about, um, you were blessed to see God's purpose, because when you look at people like Job, he never saw the reason, never. Um, we sometimes forget that when we read his story because we, we're the audience. We got to see behind the curtains. We got the behind the scenes scenes. And, you know, Job would die, never ever truly knowing what God, what the whole purpose of the suffering, the loss of his children was. But like you said, I loved how you, that was a blessing that you could see almost in real time, some right. of the things God had intended yes. for your journey. And, and let me point out, um, you know, that's great that you brought that up. Um, a friend of mine actually reminded me of that while I was still in the hospital. Um, she says, you may never see God's um, ultimate hand and, you know, the results that will come from, um, from your trial that you're going through. But after, um, like, and you, you pointed out Job and the fact that he never did see um, I have, I have been blessed to be able to see that, but it may not be like that for other people going through a trial. And so, you know, don't expect, you know, to have the, to be able to see those results because God doesn't always work the same way. And, and so, yes, God blessed me and showed me tremendously, you know, over the course of this last year, how he has worked in others' lives, um, but like Paul says, you know, I watered Apollos or I, I planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase. And so it's like, you know, Paul never realized some of the, of the seeds that grew because he planted them and he never saw them, um, come to fruition. And so just like Job in the fact that he, he never saw that. Um, but yes, I'm so thankful that God allowed me to see some of those and I may not even know all of them. I just know if, you know, I know of a few, um, but I know that God will use it for his glory, regardless of if I see it or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like I said, it is a blessing. I like how you phrase it. It was a blessing. You know, we don't always, but it is a blessing when God lets us see a few sprinkles of that yeah. for sure like a little I rain like <laughs> but i and i like um I, I like i said i wrote all kinds of notes so um 
but I, and I've, I've, I've thought about this and, and perhaps talked about this in a blog or a podcast before, but uh, it's, it's important for us to embrace the season of now. And for you, I think, you know, what I, as I listened to your story and you said that phrase of embracing that season in the hospital, um, it requires a key ingredient, which is surrender that I, I just surrender and it's in it, we need to be careful when we, when we we're meaning a surrendered heart, not I quit. There's a difference between a surrender of that kind and a surrender in a, in a battlefield yes. in some ways. So it, it is a surrendering of the, of the soul and just saying, I embrace the season of now, whatever. And this can be, this is not um, restricted to medical. This is restrict, you know, th- th- this goes beyond, it goes to those who are single, to those who are um, needing maybe a, a job change or those who are waiting for children there, you know, but it's embracing that season of now God sometimes places us because he just wants our surrender. He just yeah. wants us. Would you let me have it all? Mm-hmm. Um, and just trust me where I have you that it is intentional because God is not wasteful. Um, and he is not, um, sporadic or whatever, like this looks good today. He is very, he's an organized God. He has a plan from, from Adam and Eve beyond. And so I liked how you, the embracing the now, and you had that moment of, of surrender. Yes. And I think that was, that was, that was important. And I liked, um, how you said that your husband, you, you know, because fear, fear is a natural part of life. And we know that, um, we are going to be afraid and we may not always be able to um, push it all away. Again, there's going to be flickers of it that are going to showcase, but I love that you said that the peace overrides that, that it was still there. And I loved how you, you expressed that with your husband. Yes. That was a big thing to see right before falling asleep. Honestly, I think that was, you know, what the one thing that I remember really from the surgery and before the surgery, um, was, you know, yeah, he was, he was terrified. I mean, um, going through something like this with your wife, um, is not something that we expected. Um, and yet he knew that I was in God's hands and he couldn't control the situation. Um, so why fight the Lord? And so he was just like, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to admit. And he told me I'm scared. Um, he said, but I, I trust in the Lord. And I could, I, I could see that on his face. Um, and that was the last thing I saw before falling asleep. Um, and so that gave me peace too, um, reminding me that God is in control. I'm in his hands and no matter the outcome, he would take care of, of, of every situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, so if, you know, the audience who's listening, um, yes, I'm the girl that talks about sit still my daughter, which is from Ruth chapter three, verse 18. And this is kind of where it's going, you know, fear again can be there, mm-hmm. but we have to mentally choose something else in order to help suppress it. And that is for the believer, we choose to trust in the promises of God, which is how we get part of the peace is that we're choosing him over our fear. We're choosing to know that he is in control, that he does love us. And in the, um, 
that scene from from Ruth, which you know most of the audience is smooth because Sarah tends to talk about it quite a bit. Um, <laughs> it's a great verse. You know, she's coming back from this midnight rendezvous with this gentleman that she really wants to marry because um, she doesn't want to marry the unknown relative. You know, nobody wants to marry Mister No Name, evidently. Yeah. Um, and and in that moment of fear, two people really gave her some calm assurances that I appreciated was Boaz gave her a consistent, you know, he said, you know, go home. I'm going to take care of this. He gave her a calm assurance of his character that he was going to do this. And then you have Naomi, which utters those famous words of, you know, sit still my daughter until I know how the matter will fall. She was confident in Boaz's um, character, which is how she could suppress her fear of not really knowing what's going to take place. And then you have this concept for us is that we don't know how things are going to turn out. Just like your husband, you know, he struggled with his fear, but he believed in the character of God, just as Ruth did and Naomi did. And it gave them an assurance to overcome these things. So I think that was um, just a wonderful just illustration that I really enjoyed from your side was just that, you know, peace overrides fear and that's how we we get there to that particular point yes so and then the last one because I could probably keep going because I just had so many wonderful little thoughts um, (laughs) that joy our joy is not based on circumstances and that Mm -hmm. even in your difficult season you still had those moments where you know the nurses didn't probably dread coming to your room because they'd have to wear galoshes and you know an umbrella to hover from the rain that was coming in your room. You know, you were not a rain cloud of, I can't believe this. I don't want to be here. I'm just so grumpy. And, you know, just this is negativity and just the, the, the sobbing and everything. I, there were seasons of tears. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But you could move past and you could have your joy and your joy was constant and your joy was based not on the circumstances because, you know, they weren't pleasant, but your joy came from knowing that God was in control. Yes. Yes. In fact, some of the nurses would come in and they'd be like, I get you again today. Yay. They'd be all happy. And I was just like, oh, that is so funny. And they're like, we don't know what's different about you. And then that would give me a chance to share with them why they thought I was different. And so again, God used that as an opportunity to share his love and his joyfulness that only like the only joyfulness that he can give and they were just like wow that is so cool that you can just be this happy and and I was like well don't get me wrong it hasn't been you know a bed of roses um this whole time and they're like oh we totally get that um but I was choosing to see the joy and choosing to have that kind of a mentality that you know God has given me these opportunities okay Lord I will gladly share and so um you know the nurses would come in and you know, of course I had my favorite nurses. They were all great nurses, but I did have my favorites. And so when I had that particular nurse or one of those particular nurses, I'd be like, oh yeah, I get you again. And they'd be like, oh good. All right. Okay. Talk to me some more. So that would just give us more opportunity to, you know, give, to talk and for me to share with them everything that God has done. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> yes. I think that points back to also in Galatians where it says the fruit of the spirit. You know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And when people see that we are now a fruit 
bearing Christian, which is allowing people to see, you know, Christ in us. And that's really ultimately our goal as believers is to let people see us. And it is done, you know, um, I think it's in Matthew where Jesus says, by your fruits, people will know these things, you know, you shall know them by their fruits. And again, in scripture, we're told in Galatians, you know, the fruit of the spirit. And these are things that, you know, love, joy, peace that need to be evident in our life for sure. So if we don't have these things, you know, um, we, we need to definitely be cultivating that for sure. I've been reading a book on the fruits of the spirit and fruit of the spirit, and I'm really enjoying that. But mm-hmm. I do want to say kind of as we slowly, sadly wrap up, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love these conversations, but you know, what would you say to someone who is, um, what would you say to someone who's going through not even just a medical crisis, but just any type of crisis where, you know, it was unexpected and there is questions of why and they're struggling with that particular season what would you say to them well I think um in fact I was just talking about this the other night um the fact that you know the question of why the question of what's going to happen next um is honestly you just you have to keep your trust and faith in the Lord um, it's it's difficult because you don't, you know, our flesh wants to know um, what's going to happen. Um, and that in and of itself is is not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's only it's only natural to feel that way, like, okay, what's what's coming next, Lord? Okay, you know, we've we've gone through this, we've we've dealt with this. Okay, now what? Um, but I think that's where your faith and keeping that trust alive in, in, in the Lord and, um, just resting on that peace that he can only, he can give, um, the, the person that I was talking to once, you know, she just want, wanted to know, you know, what's, what's going to happen. And, you know, I've been asked that question a lot as a pastor's wife, as a chaplain's wife, um, and, you know, in my own kids, you know, they've asked me the same, you know, what's going to happen, mommy. And, um, you know, I told them, we, we don't know what is going to happen. Um, we just need to trust. And, and I said, one thing that I always look back on and, and think of when I tell people to trust in the Lord, um, is if we knew what was going to happen in the future. If God gives us just a little snippet of, you know, like a little picture in our mind, okay, this is what's going to happen. Or, you know, just a particular time in our life, you know, we'll have to go through this or whatever. Um, where, you know, what would that say for our faith? We wouldn't need that faith in Christ if we knew what was going to happen. And so I always comfort myself with the fact that, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I'm kind of glad I don't know. And, um, you know, I think too, if I knew who I was going to marry, um, when I actually crossed paths with him the first time, um, I was in sixth grade when I crossed paths with my husband, I didn't know it. But if I, if I knew that he was the one that I was going to marry, I would have freaked out. Like I would have just been like, no way, Lord, really? And yet growing, you know, going through, you know, from sixth grade on up to the time I actually met him, 
I'm so sorry. My kids are being noisy kids, right? Um, anyway, um, I, I don't know that, you know, coming to the point where I was actually ready to get married, I would have been like, oh, this is no surprise. Like, why did you tell me Lord? Like I, I wouldn't, you know, and, and getting to that point in my life, it would have been like, okay, yeah, whatever I'm getting married, but I knew who it was. And so, and that goes for every walk of life. If we know, you know, where God is going to have us in 10 years, um, we would not have that faith and we wouldn't have the inclination to call on Christ. And so I would think, you know, just the advice that I could give is just keep working on that faith work and memorize scripture. Cause that will give you more ammunition for your faith and the trust in God. Um, the Psalms are huge as far as, um, as in, 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 in comforting you and encouraging you to keep that faith alive and, um, you know, wait on the Lord and, he will give you the desires of your heart. And so it's just, you know, it, it's a biblical thing to, sorry about that, to wait on, on the Lord and, um, and, and just to keep that in mind and keep that peace that um, passes all understanding as an encouragement. So um, yes, that's it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Okay. And I agree with that. I, I love that. And I do think too, if we are sometimes foretold the future, we can get fixated on it and that can keep us from living in the now. You know, like you said, embracing that season of now, if you, if you, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this to happen, but you know, I think that's important to just, you know, day by day we're walking, you know, the Bible tells us that he, his word is a, a lamp and a light to our feet, which is a presentation of now. It is a current thing right now. So I just um, really am uh, fortunate to have had you in Sunday school. I'm so glad that I was able to listen to you and to have that conversation with you. And I was just so thankful that you were willing to come on the podcast because you didn't know me. And I felt, you know, a little nervous about coming to ask you. It's like, she's going to say no, because she doesn't know this person at all. The strange girl just comes up and says, I love what you had to say. Would you like to come on my podcast? <laughs> That's funny. In fact, I, I think I shared with you that I have been praying for more opportunities to share what God has done and not because of anything I've done. Um, it's, it's not me, honestly, if it were up to me, I would have given up a long time ago and yet God has continued to sustain me and give me that grace that I need. And so it's, I just, I just want to share with everybody who will listen that, you know, God is a God of miracles. Yes. He puts you through some, some pretty heavy trials, um, you know, some people more than others. Um, but without those trials in our life, um, you know, we wouldn't have faith to grow and we would not call on Christ because, you know, once every, when everything's happy and joyful, um, you're less inclined to, you know, giving God the glory. And so when you go through those trials, um, just remember that, you know, it, it, it's just a valley at that point, you know, there are mountaintops, there are valleys and, you know, those valleys are put there so we can have the mountaintops. And again, praise the Lord for what he just brought us through. And, you know, when you get to that mountaintop, you're like, Oh Lord, you just brought us through so much. Thank you. And the more, you know, the, that happens, the more you're inclined to praising the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it is, um, it is the Valley that has the richest soil. 
Yes. And we forget that sometimes, you know, we like the view at the mountaintop, but it is the, the valley. And, you know, if we don't have um, rain, we don't always appreciate the sunshine as much right. um, because it's normal. So, you know, again, um, Brittany, I could be here all day, but I know that your children <laughs> probably want you. They probably wanted you an hour ago. Yeah, they're outside um, right now. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I just, you know, I feel that um, it was just a wonderful um, divine appointment that, you know, you had not even intended to speak at the um, Sunday school group. Melinda was just like, Hey, so since you're coming, <laughs> why don't you just take the class over? <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking she was going to give me 10 minutes and then I texted her and I was like, okay. And she's like, no, 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 you have the whole hour. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and awesome I think it'll be a blessing to so many. I think there's just, um, like I, I said before, you know, it's sharing our testimony um, can impact somebody else that's going through a similar season. And I do preface by saying, you know, we all have a story to share, but our story is not for everyone. Right. Um, but there is someone that needs your particular story. And so I am just praying and hoping that that someone's listening and that, you know, please, you know, share this episode. If you have a friend in mind that might need this encouragement, because that's all we're really doing. We're not saying that we have the answers or the solution to every single problem. What we're saying is that at the core, um, at the base, it's just trusting God. Yes. Living by faith day by day for whatever season he may have you in, no matter if it's in the top or the bottom of mm -hmm. the, the mountain or the valley. And it's just ultimately, um, again, I try to point people back, you know, it's that quiet time, that quiet time with God is where you know him. And he invites us to know him mm -hmm. as intimately as we want. And when everything else fails us, he remains steadfast. And um, I, I don't even know where the song comes from. I don't even know if it's, you know, I, I don't know where it comes from, but there was some kind of lyrics that would come on. It was talking about being in a storm in life. Uh, and, and Jesus is holding your hand. And it was as if he was saying to you, um, lean on me. And when you feel you're going under, hold tighter to my hand. And when you find that I'm all you have, you'll learn I'm all you need. And I loved, I mean, that stayed with me. I heard it somewhere as a teenager. And I just remember thinking about that, lean on him. And that's what happens in the quiet place is that you will learn to lean on him. And you will learn that when he holds your hand, nothing bad can happen. It right. may seem bad, but it is always for our good and for his glory. Yes. Um, so I just really appreciate you um, coming on here and just sharing your heart, being vulnerable and just having this conversation and carving out time um, from your day and that you did accept an invitation from a total stranger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me. It was a, it was a pleasure to share. I pray that anybody out there who is going through any kind of trial uh, we'll be encouraged by this because um, that's all that I can do is encourage others to trust in the Lord and um, grow your faith in Christ, memorize that scripture, um, and just use it in your life to grow in him. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if there are people listening who uh, are like me and would love to have you come and speak at an event or at a gathering, um, how would they reach you? They could email me. Um, I have my my personal email address um, at k5c1mom.2023 at gmail.com. Or you can call or text me. My phone number is 951-216-9622.
And I will have um, that email in the show notes for everyone. But, you know, again, I would encourage listeners, you know, if you have a women's event coming up and, you know, you happen to be near Paris, California, um, <laughs> not Paris, France. Paris, yeah. <laughs> Paris, France would be awesome too. You know, I would love she to. She will take Paris. outside the country invitations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you are out of the country and want to pay my way to come speak at an event, I would, I would love it. <laughs> So, but I, again, you know, Brittany, thank you so much for just um, being a, a willing vessel that, you know, Maggie said that ordinary water that God can use in extraordinary ways to show his glory. So again, I appreciate you coming on here. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that just a blessing to hear? I was so encouraged by her sweet spirit and her surrendered heart to God. It was also a challenge to me and my own attitude and behavior. I appreciated Brittany's vulnerability and willingness to share her story. Our life is meant to be lived for God's glory, and part of that is our response to those difficult seasons. When the world sees us still experiencing joy and peace, they are left wondering why, which then opens the door for us to share the reason and to shine the light of Christ. If this episode was a blessing to you, be sure to share so that others can hear Brittany's amazing, wonderful, encouraging testimony. I pray you have a wonderful day, my friends. Let's be women who dwell in the quiet place and are ready to let God take our ordinary life and use it for his glory.